Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. This is Dave Bethay, joined by my host, Scott the Stat Assassin, here on a Victory Wednesday as we are celebrating our Atlanta Hawks trashing the dumpy, sorry New York Knicks. Scott, how you feeling? You know, I got to watch Spike Lee give up and walk out of the stadium about three <laughs> or four minutes before the game was over, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, Reggie Miller called him a Fairweather fan, and he turned around, and about three minutes later, he had sat back down. So it was pretty funny to see. Um, I think it was after Randall or somebody hit a three. But anyways, dude, uh, feels good as a Hawks fan. It's first playoff appearance in four years. I think the first series victory in five years. I believe that's correct. Um, Sounds right. So it's been a while, uh, even longer for Knicks fans, but that's their problem. And, yes, we are – if you're a Knicks fan and you're listening to this, I don't know why you would be, but – you're about to get dumped on. So uh, <laughs> um, really quickly, Scott, what was like your big picture, mile high takeaways from the series? Big picture, Trey did what we expected him to do mm-hmm. offensively, right? Which is run the whole offense and create offense for himself and others. And basically, as long as he is out there, you're going to have a good offense and you're going to be able to yeah. score even against good defenses. And the other side of things, the Knicks offense, it wasn't good. They Ooh. just couldn't score. Mm-mm. I never really expected them to score. No, that's true. Okay. Like, I think my biggest takeaway is that I came in this series feeling like the Hawks were probably the better team, but not really knowing what to expect out of their first playoff performance. And the Hawks were not only clearly the better team, but you saw Trey elevated his game in the playoffs, which I wasn't sure he would do. I didn't think he'd be bad in the playoffs, but we, I think we talked about this, but you just don't know. What if he doesn't get the calls? What if he has a bad night shooting? Like, can he still be good? And you and I kept waiting. It was like, you know what? He's going to have a, a six for 21 game and the national media is going to be all over him. It never happened. Honestly, game, game four and game five, both were pretty off shooting nights. Yeah. But yeah. When you have an off shooting night and you still get your 10 assists and keep your turnovers low and still end up with 25 or 35 points and the team wins by double digits, uh, yeah, the media is going to overlook a little bit of shooting inefficiency in those cases. And that was the thing, man, is that even when you're watching these games, when Cherry's not making shots, he is just in such absolute control of the entire floor. It's very Chris Paul-like in the sense that you'll look up and Chris Paul feels like he's killing the team and he's got 10 points and eight assists. But you feel like he's just absolutely dominating and controlling every aspect of the game. And seeing Trey, like, especially in a game, like I think it was game three, which I was actually there for, um, he had 27 points, which was a good night, but not anything spectacular. And he had just, every aspect of the game he had under his control. It just, it was just, it was a really good thing to see, and I'm hoping to see more of that in the series against Philadelphia, but we'll get to that here in a second. Um, what did you predict that you were right about in the series? I can think of one big prediction you made coming into the series that you were right on. Um, anything that you predicted coming into the series that you hit on? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, really mostly ESPN, really big outlet people that were picking the Knicks, 
And the line went something like, oh, they have home field advantage and the best player in the series. Yeah. And I was not buying that Julius Randle was the best player in the series. He had a really great year. Good for him. But Trey Young was the best player in the series. Feeling pretty good about that one right now. You did say that to me because I think I texted you and I said, well, you know, they have the best player in the series. And you said, ah, I'm not sure about that. And I said, let me correct myself. They had the player having the best season. And that that was true. And that was true. But you really saw a lot of Randall's limitations. Uh, and I think even more so, he was done no favors by his coach. And I really think that Tibbs, his inability to come up with any kind of offensive game plan for them was a glaring weakness in this series. And in my preview last week, I talked about how Tibbs does not have a record of making adjustments. And he got outcoached badly by Nate. There was one time I think I texted you in game four and I looked up and the Hawks were in a two, three zone because the Knicks were just clanking threes and the Hawks were like, Randall's off the floor. We'll let quickly try to bomb y'all's way back into the game because, and they didn't stay it for very long, but they were trying to cut down in fouls. They went to a two, three zone and the Knicks couldn't score against it. I was just like, wow. And after the game two debacle with the minutes, you saw Nate fixed it. He stopped going with the five subs and five well, he, starter he lineups. went back to it he went back to it a little bit in game four did he did i miss it okay yes well it, it was a lot shorter um, okay he cut the time just about in half okay and it just barely didn't cost us we were like minus four or something in that like two minutes because right at the end solo hit a three and then i think barrett hit a three right after the buzzer that didn't count so it was like it was real close to being, you know, minus 10 in, in two minutes with all the backups, but we, we escaped. And truthfully, that, that lineup wasn't good all series long, but you got bailed up by Lou getting hot in game one. And so he was able to kind of get away with that lineup with Lou just hitting a bunch of shots that kind of bailed that lineup out. But that lineup, which normally in the regular season is a good lineup, but normally in the regular season, you're playing the backups from other teams where in the playoffs, you're playing your five bench players against probably – three starters and two bench players from the other team. So that makes it not as good of a matchup, even though yeah. I love the individual players and in that you, you just can't, you can't do that. And he took the criticism and he adjusted. Uh, so kudos to him. Yeah. And a, a little bit of credit for Thibodeau with uh, Alfred Payton. Yeah. He started in the first make game. That adjustment. Yeah. And the first second two games. game, he, in the second game he started him, but then didn't, Play him yeah, in the second half. Played five minutes and first. sat the rest of the game. Right. And then by game three, they didn't play him at all. And only sort of credit for doing this because that was one of those moves where everybody said, hey, you should really make this move before the series starts. Yep. And it was yep. a classic case, case of a coach being a little bit stubborn and saying, oh, this is how we play. This is what got us here. We're going to ride that until it doesn't work. But it immediately didn't work 100% right away and everybody knew it wouldn't but he he did get off of that so i, I was a little sad I, I thought we were gonna get that the whole series i'm a big fan of the podcast the no dunks podcast which formerly was the starters he's been nba tv and one of the guys trey kirby is a huge huge bulls fan so he called it the keith bogan strategy where keith bogan's would start every game but he would only average like 10 minutes a game he would literally start both halves and he would sit the rest of the half. He'd play like the first four minutes of both halves and sit the rest of the games. And it was just like, but that was a Tibbs thing to do. And it, it makes no sense. It's, it's so stupid. Um, but I don't think I had any predictions statistically or about player performances, but I did have some 
predictions about how he would match up. And one of the predictions I said is that I might have John Collins guard RJ Barrett. And that was a prediction that did come true as he spent a lot of time on RJ Barrett um, guarding him and did a pretty good job in that we would throw a lot of bodies at Julius Randle with it mostly being Capella, Collins, and Hunter and Hunter and John Collins did a lot of heavy lifting. What I could not have predicted was Danilo Gallinari guarding Randall and being very effective against him, very effective against him, uh, which was definitely a surprise, or Bogdanovich having some really good minutes on Derrick Rose. So one defensive surprise tonight was when <laughs> – it's so ridiculous. Julius Randall, I can't remember if he was spinning off somebody or if he just kind of got around somebody, starts to get a line to the basket and sees the body come in, you know, in front of him between the basket and the paint area, and he just stops and pulls up because Kevin Herter was about to challenge him at the rim. He <laughs> gave up and shot a contested two. And then that's when you just knew this this series is really over right now. You and I were talking about how Herter has become a sneaky good defender. Yeah. He, because he's a better athlete than people think because he's a white guy with red hair. So people just assume he's not athletic, which is not true. He's actually a, a good athlete. And he's – uh, I, I use the term pesky, like, and he's got really good hands. Mm-hmm. So he's the kind of guy that gets a lot of tips and deflections and every now and then he sneaks up and gets a block shot. Very, very similar to Cal Corver when he was with the Hawks. People always thought he was a bad defender, but he actually wasn't. But Herter is like a superior athlete to Cal Corver. So you had him straight up stuff. It was at D Rose tonight on a layup. And yeah. Herter does that a lot more than people realize. And he's become, like I said, a sneaky, good defender. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say him- a plus defender, but a solid defender. Yeah, both him and Bogdanovich did a good job of being active and passing lanes and just getting deflections and stuff like that when, you know, the Knicks were trying to kick out to to three-point shooters. And like you mentioned, Gallo did a pretty good job on Randall when he had minutes. And we know that Gallo is very limited defensively. He's a big physical guy, though. That's exactly right. And Mm -hmm. the way that the Hawks played – Randall for the whole series was very conducive to Gallo being able to get, you know, be a little bit effective against him because the idea was just as soon as Randall touches the ball, just immediately angle your body 45 degrees Uh so that you are guarding between him and the paint. Don't guard between him and the basket. Just pretend like the basket doesn't exist. Just stand there. So he can't go towards the paint. And if he wants to go around you around to the baseline, to the outside, then Capella steps up and there's no easy looks at the basket, right? So all he can do is dribble around and take a contested mid-range two-point shot. Especially because Gallo shaded his left hand and Mm -hmm. uh, he is super left-hand dominant, which one of the things Stephen A. pointed out in giving a very good analysis of the series, which is rare for Stephen A., but he actually gave really good analysis of what was wrong with his Knicks and he's like, everybody knows Julius Randle's going to go left. (laughs) Like, and... Like you said, he was so out of sync. Uh, we're talking about we're, 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 I guess we kind of moved on to what surprises the series. Julius Randle was so out of sync. He looked so bad. And the thing is, and this is just true, if you are an ISO heavy player, you will get figured out in the playoffs, unless you're Kevin Durant. Yep. Because think about James Harden, who's one of the best ISO players we've ever seen. He has struggled in the playoffs. You can't be an ISO heavy player and, and and be successful in the playoffs. You've got to have other things going. 
And if you are going to be ISO heavy, you have to be like Kevin Durant and James Harden have elite jump shooting. Even though I say, you know, Harden struggling in the playoffs, Harden's playoff struggles are he scores 25 instead of 36. So let's keep it in perspective. Yeah. He, he didn't struggle like Julius yeah. Randle struggled. Yeah. But when you're Kevin Durant, you're 6'11", can shoot every, everybody, you can still play ISO. And the thing is, this is where I said that they're, the Knicks coach, Tom, Thib- Tom Thibodeau, or Thibodeau, as they say it on TV, did him no favors. Why is why is he not getting direct post-ups? Like, why are you having him start with the ball at the three-point line and try to dribble down in the shots? Why are you not doing any direct post-ups? Why are you not putting him in pick and rolls with Derrick Rose or even with Reggie Bullock so that you can switch Trey Young on him? Like, one of the things that I had that was one of the surprises is that they could they did not double Trey and they did not make him work on defense. Trey chilled out there on Reggie Bullock the whole series. And all he did was Reggie Bullock would swing to the weak side of the floor, wait for the ball to get rotated over him. Trey would run out on him. Reggie Bullock would pump fake, take a side dribble, and then shoot the three. And he would either make it or miss it. Trey didn't have to work at all. And I will say this. The people have kind of gone through and, uh, you know, watched the film and seen how many times it happened. Usually there was about 10 or 15 possessions a game where they put Trey and pick and roll from that spot. Yeah, okay. The problem was that that still didn't really work. Yeah. Because, you know, the Hawks would just not switch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they weren't and, making the threes. When they went under when he went under, they weren't making the threes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's the kind of thing where sure, Trey's not like fighting through a whole lot of screens, but it's the playoffs, it's not the regular season. So it's a little easier for guys to give maximum effort. Yeah. And you saw that a lot, right? You saw a lot more defensive effort out of Trey mm-hmm. and so sure he's small and when they happen to that one time get RJ Barrett on Trey in the paint yes he can back him he down for a layup score. yeah that's an easy two points but out on the perimeter he can stay active and you know stay in uh stay in passing lanes and get back to his guy and and help right a number of times you saw him what, like tagging over to the, the roll man after rotations and, and stripping at the ball when, you know, when Noel or somebody else or Gibson or somebody like that. So, which all of that's easier to do when, like you said, he got to have a whole lot of time just hanging out on uh, on Bullock in the corner. So it's, it was one of those things where the Knicks, and this was said by a lot of people before the series, the Knicks weren't well suited to make Trey Young work hard on defense, right? but also Trey Young did a good job of staying locked in defensively mm-hmm. and giving effort and stuff like that. He wasn't giving them easy points by not doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. That's, that's a good assessment. And so like, I, I even heard people saying this, but Trey Young's a bad defender. We know this, you know, he was, you know, he's a great offensive player. You have to find a way to expose him. You have to, you have to teams have done it to Steph Curry. Like, they find ways to get him isolated. Now, Golden State is like an elite team defense, and Steph Curry is a phenomenal team defender. And so he's the kind of guy that's so smart that he'll call a switch before it actually happens so that he can get back on the guy he's supposed to guard. And Mm -hmm. Trey, I don't think, has that level of IQ yet. And he all around did a good job. And I put a lot of that on Nick McMillan preparing him for what they were going to do to attack him. I really do. Mm -hmm. I really do. So I think Nate, after games one and two, coached the pants off of Tom Thibodeau. It wasn't even close. Yeah, it, 
the Hawks did look like the better coached team. That's for sure. Which is not something people normally say of a Nate McMillan playoff team. <laughs> it's true. Now, some of the difference here is the Hawks also had better players. That, right? Yes. And normally all these Nate McMillan teams that lost in the past out, didn't actually have better players. They had a bunch of solid veteran guys and Nate got them to play well in the regular season and get in the playoffs. So I don't know. Well, I imagine that people might all of a sudden be critical of Nate again when you get to a series where you're outmatched. Yeah. Um, which is fair. If he goes to these all bench lineups and a series that you lose, if that costs you a game or two in a close series, that can be the difference. So we'll have to see on that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one other thing we have to talk about just real quickly is I don't think anybody could predicted how bad Julius Randle would be. You and I talked about this. He's not going to average 37 and 12 on the Hawks and shoot just ridiculous fadeaway three-point heartbreakers all over the place. We knew that wasn't going to happen. But I don't know what the final series total was, but he came in shooting 27% for the series. For the series, which is like historically bad for someone taking the number of shots he, he um, has taken. I couldn't find the final information on this because we're, we're recording this less than an hour after the game. But one of the worst shooting series in NBA history. That's not an exaggeration. And then tonight, you know, he had the big night where he was 8-21, scored over 23 points, which is his first 20-point game in the series, his first or second 20-point game in the series. But he hasn't made turnovers because he had field goals. And it's like he legitimately, objectively was not good. I mean, oh, man. Yeah, and so I will say – this game five, and we, we saw it a little bit and I don't know, maybe the second half of game two and then some parts of game four. And then game five, we saw the Randall that I expected to see. Right. Which was a Randall that was productive, but not necessarily efficient. Impactful or impactful. Yeah. Okay, yeah, efficient. Yeah, well, yeah, efficient or overly impactful for creating offense for other teammates or mm. stuff like that either, right? Now – he gave you maybe two games worth of that and then three games of, you know, whew, yeah, just wow. So he shot a little bit better percentage tonight. Uh, he'll probably end up like 29% shooting on the series, which is just heinous, right? But I think, uh, what did he have tonight? Uh, 23 and 23 on eight to 21. Yeah. And, and 13 rebounds, rebounds or something like yeah. that. You know, he averaged like 24 and 10 on the season. So that's pretty reasonable, right? Tonight he was, I think, close to 40% from the field. Yeah. Uh, he shot low to mid-40s on the season. That's just kind of a slight tick down because it's the playoffs and teams game plan for you. That's kind of what you'd expect. It's worth noting the Hawks still won easily on the road, mm. even with him having that performance. And they didn't play particularly well. No, the Hawks had a terrible shooting night on a lot of open threes too, especially yes. to start the game. You just had you had a few times where Trey tried to take a long three, sort yes. of for like you know those those momentum threes to get mm-hmm. things back, and those are high risk, high reward. Sometimes they work and they're great, but when they don't, it really feels like an empty possession. But the early shooting woes. You know, the other 10 wide open misses in the first quarter weren't Trey doing that, right? It was other people just missing open shots. But New York can't score, so it doesn't cost you. 
right? And, and, and Trey was a little crazy three ball. He shot 25 threes last two games after barely shooting in the first two games. Wasn't a huge fan of that. And you can tell some of those, are, like you said, they're not even, heat, they're, they're what I call the momentum heat checks. It's like, these are dagger shots if I hit them, but they weren't, he passed up a lot of the crazy, like, oh, Trey, what are you doing threes that we typically see? Like, he took one at the end of the game that was literally like an FU New York logo mm-hmm. three where he took a bow after he hit it. And it's like one of those, like. <laughs> it's like WWE level, like, nonsense. It's, I, that is absolutely the comparison I made. And we have to talk about this before we move on to the Philly series very quickly is Atlanta has a dog. We have a bona fide killer. And that's not something that you see a lot of Atlanta sports. He's stuck in a chihuahua body, though. <laughs> it's true. But you and I were texting back and forth during the Denver uh, Blazers game the other night where Dame goes God mode. And it's wow. like Dame is six foot one, 190 pounds. So, yeah, he's bigger than Trey, but not by much. And everybody in the arena knows what he's going to do. And he's just a stone cold killer. And Trey has that same kind of mentality. Now, he ain't done it on the level Dame has, but Trey has that same mentality. He wants you to boo him. He wants to be the bad guy. He's built for it. And there ain't been a whole lot of guys in his city that are like that. I can remember Chipper Jones with his uh, New York stuff. Oh, yeah. Them chanting Larry and him hitting like 375 career average. against Named his son after the stadium, got his MVP <laughs> trophy and said, thank you to the people of New York for reminding me of my first name. We don't get a lot of that here in Atlanta. And that was uncharacteristic for who Chipper was. Julio Jones on the field's a killer. We can't get Julio to talk. Except when he doesn't realize <laughs> he's on TV. And like the only player that even approximates that is Ronald Acuna. Mm-hmm. who is a killer and he's good and he lets you know he's good. He's flipping his bat. He pimped the mess out of a home run the other night against the Nationals. If you see that one two nights ago. And I just think that we talked about this with the Trey Luca thing. I can't think of Luca being a better fit for this series, this city than Trey. Hey, how many playoff series has Luca won? Luca has won none. He's trying his best to pull one off right now because he is hooping on oh, the yeah. Clippers he's, right now. He's, he's killing it. He's killing it. But it won't matter, Scott. And you and I both have gone through this discussion that you know Luca's the better player. Um, there's no question. Luca's gonna have the better career, more than likely. He'll probably be a multiple time MVP. But the Trey can't win narrative, the Trey's too small. He he's a stat stuffer. It's gotta go out the window now because he's now done in the playoffs. And we know that they'll move the goalpost on him. They'll say, oh, he's playing a team, the Knicks, that we're, we're, we're just glad to be there. They'll move the goalpost on him. Mm-hmm. Going into the Philly series, I think that he's got a chance to change that narrative. Because when you look at his history against Philly, he has torched them over his career. And Ben Simmons has not been able to check him. Yeah, it, it's always interesting, right, to hear, oh, New York is such a special place. And, you know, we got – playoff basketball at Madison Square Garden. It's going to be such a special atmosphere. And then you go in there and make it look like a practice gym. And then everybody says, oh, well, you just beat New York. That's not special. Well, which one's it going to be, right? Like, you can't have them both. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, Worth noting, random uh, random stat from the series before we talk about Philly. There are two players that have scored three straight 30-point games in Madison Square Gardens, like two opponents that have scored 30 in three straight games. I'm going to guess New York. Miller or Jordan. Which one is it? It's, it's Trey and Michael Jordan. It's Jordan. 
Okay, mm-hmm. well, I know what's going on. The I know what's going on. The uh, I know what's going on. Our graphic for tonight. It's going on Twitter and Facebook. So give me that stat again, Scott, just so I can just so I can wrap my mind around that. Yeah. So Trey Young joined Michael Jordan as the only visiting players with three straight thirty-point games at Madison Square Garden in the playoffs, that which tells you two things. One, Trey had a very good performance, and two, the Knicks aren't in the playoffs very much. <laughs> Otherwise, you could have more guys on there. <laughs> okay, uh, so moving to the Philly series, and we have to start with this caveat that Joel Embiid uh, has a torn meniscus in his left knee. We don't know what part of his lateral meniscus or the medial meniscus. You don't know how serious it is. Meniscus injuries can be anywhere from six months to you can play with them. I mean, they go all over the map. Um, we had a teammate in high school, towards meniscus, got arthroscopic surgeries back in two weeks. So you just don't know. With a long playoff series like this, MB can get his knee scoped and be back by game three. You just don't know. Or he could be trying to play through an injury or he could be done for the season. But I will say this, and we'll see what the betting odds are, the betting odds are, you take Joel Embiid off the floor, uh, this is a very winnable series. Very yeah, it, winnable it series. changes a lot if Embiid is not playing for the majority of the series or if he's, you know, just able to go for a couple games, yeah. but he's limited. Um, I haven't really had too much time to think about how that really changes the matchups, right? Because yeah, we were just if, yeah, we just yeah, got this, he, he just got yeah. injured or he's not, you know, that's ongoing. But yeah, you, I mean, you take away Embiid and then you start looking at the two rosters, and it's not super clear to me that you know Philly has some better uh-huh. roster when you take away uh-huh. Embiid, and that obviously. That's because you're taking away their best player and the guy that exactly. actually would probably be the best player in the series. Yeah, series. In this case, they really actually do. So, because truthfully, Clint Bell's a great defender. He can't guard Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's got him by 50 pounds. I mean, he can't guard Joel Embiid. And the, the we know the Hawks don't have a true backup center. So, as soon as Capel leaves the floor and he's going to be able to at least battle and beat on the boards, you're talking about Gallo and Okongu and Collins and I'm just putting my hands over my eyes. Just like <laughs> it's just it's gonna be dunks and free throws. So uh yeah. but I have to talk about this. Ben Simmons, who I will go ahead and say I believe is an overrated defensive player. And I say that because overrated does not mean bad. I think Ben Simmons is an absolutely phenomenal defender. I just think he's being put on the like the Kawhi Leonard level. I don't think he's even close to that personally. I think his versatility overshadows his actual effectiveness. And so I think he's like a really good defender. I think he's even an all-NBA defender. Like, I don't think he should have been up for defensive player of the year over Clint Capella. I don't think he's as impactful. I think he's really good. Your thoughts on that, Scott? Am I crazy in saying that? He's he's not as impactful because post defenders are more impactful. Right. And it's basic math here, right? If you're on the perimeter, you're only guarding one guy, and you're only impacting what that one guy does to the offense. If you are a post defender – you are impacting everybody that drives to the paint or might drive to the paint. So you are more or less impacting the entirety of the other team's offense, not just one player. There's a reason that when you look at like the impact metrics on defense, it's just a list of all the good defensive centers and then like throw Kawhi in there somewhere. Sometimes. Yeah. Yep. You know, you're right. You're right. I mean, and we've talked about this, the point guard position has basically no defensive impact. Yeah. And the list is for offense and center is for defense. for defense. Now the other positions in between, that's they where you matters. really need to have 
the two-way guys. So. And the we'll say we've said it before, but we'll say it again. The number of point guards that are actually good on both ends of the floor is like three players. It's like Kyle Lowry, and whether he's good on offense depends on the night. Mike Conley, and again, whether he's good on offense depends on the night. And then Chris Paul, who's always good on both. I mean, that's it. That's a list. Yeah, that's that's, that's the entire list. So yeah, going back to Philly, I want to give you these stats from the last um, several performances. And so the Hawks have played Philly five times in the last couple of years. Uh, Trey has missed a couple of games against them, but I want to give you, I want to go through his game scores and the plus and his box plus minus in the last few times they played. I, I can just go ahead. I can tell you without even seeing the numbers, this is me, my opinion blind here uh, with a big center like Embiid, they're not going to switch a whole lot and they're just going to have him drop. And man, that makes the decision-making process and really easy and opens up a lot of the floor and a lot of space for Trey to work with. And what you've seen when he plays is because Philly drops, Trey can't throw lobs, kind of like what New York was doing. New York was not going to let you yeah. throw the lob. And Trey has just destroyed them with the floaters because Ben Simmons, as good as he is, can't stay in front of Trey. And Trey is not considered to be like an explosively quick, an explosive driver because he's not bouncy. We typically think of explosive drivers being guys like, they can uh, dunk. They can that, finish exactly, at the rim with dunks, exactly. basically. Yeah. Trey is probably one of the quickest first step guards in the NBA. He just doesn't have vertical explosion, and so you wonder. People are always surprised when Trey's blown by guys that are good at finishes because hey, Trey has got elite first step quickness. He just yeah. isn't going to get there and yam on anybody. Uh, all those uh, fouls that people are mad about for Trey Young drawing, he's not drawing those because he's slow he's drawing those because he got a right. step or two steps on somebody and he's not using the Harden or luca the elite deceleration where he's herky-jerky stop and go he's bowling past you and then he's deciding whether he wants to put you on his hip and let you foul him or make the layup and so going back to the games first game that he played against philly last year trey had 25 points was a plus one on 7 20 shooting the hawks won that game or excuse me lost that game 105 to 103 the second time they played, the Hawks won 127-117. to Trey was a plus 17 and scored 39 points. Uh, did, he have, did he have some assists in that game? Uh, he had 18 assists. Okay. The first time they played – sorry, the, the third time they played last year, Philadelphia won 129-112. to Trey had 28 points, was a minus 17, not nearly as good in that game. 10-22, though, 10 assists, still good counting stats. He got torched on defense that night. So – so far, we've got Trey averaging somewhere around 30 points a game against the uh, 76ers in last season's matchups. So coming to this season, he played against them twice. One of them is a game that you kind of have to throw out because it was basically two starters for each team in their G League rosters playing because mm-hmm. it was a COVID game. But just so we get, but just so we have the data, uh, the Hawks beat the 76ers 112 to 94. Trey was plus 26 excuse me plus 20 on the night for 26 points and Embiid didn't play in this game Trey was 9 19 for 26 points and eight assists and then the last time they played on April 30th Sixers blew the Hawks out 126 104 this was actually a pretty ugly loss for the Hawks and this is when both teams at well what was full strength for the Hawks at that point because you have to remember the Hawks still had like a bunch of people out so in this game you had no DeAndre Hunter and no Bogdanovich. So keep that in mind. Trey, minus seven, but he had 32 points, four assists on 10 and 19 shooting. He actually played really, really well. But I'll put it this way. Tony Snell and Solomon Hill started that game. 
So that tells you all you need to know about why the Hawks got killed. Trey was not the problem in that game. Those guys played a combined 60 minutes in that yeah. game, and they might, they probably won't combine to play 60 minutes in this the entire upcoming series. series. Yeah, so, they had nine points. So in 60 minutes, yeah. I've played that. Stuff like that is why it's hard to take direct comparisons, right, from regular season results right. to postseason. Uh, we saw a lot of people make that mistake for the Knicks versus the Hawks series. It did not work out. So, so yeah, I think, I think in general, it's probably pretty safe to expect that Trey Young and the Hawks offense is still going to score points We're against score Philly. Them. Especially if Embiid does not play. Oh, yeah. Um, the Hawks were still able to score pretty mm-hmm. well, pretty consistently uh, against the Knicks. And the Knicks are a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, I think Philly would be a little bit better defensive team, at least as far as how the playoffs go. I think I maybe trust them a little bit more defensively than I would the Knicks. But, yeah, we know that Trey Young and the Hawks are still going to be able to score. The difference is uh, Philly can actually score some points in right. ways that New York could not. And the truth is that Philly has way better defensive personnel and a lot more of it. And Matisse Tybel is on his way to being an elite defender. Danny Green's a good defender. Uh, Shake Milton's a solid defender. Seth Curry is not a great defender, but uh, he's passable. So they have a lot better defensive personnel that they can throw out there. And they have a lot of shooters. I mean, Danny Green, Mike Scott, Tobias Harris has been really good. I mean, they have a lot of shooters. I didn't mention Seth Curry. Like, they got a lot of guys to knock down shots, which is what New York did not have. Now, people don't realize that the Hawks were actually number three in the NBA in three-point line defense. Like, people don't realize they were actually good at that, and the Hawks were really good at defense against the Knicks. The Hawks actually were third in the playoffs in defensive rating going into the last game, so I don't know where they finish. Which <laughs> At least third. At least third because, whoa, 89 points in a – oh, my gosh. Like this is like, this was a nineteen ninety nine playoff game. I mean, good gracious, alive! The Knicks' offense makes your eyes burn. But I'm telling you, I can't make predictions for the series without knowing the status of Embiid. But I will tell you one thing: Trey's career low against them is twenty five points in the last two years. He gonna score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's gonna eat. Clint Capella, I think, if he can do just a decent job on the glass, you're not gonna keep Embiid from scoring. But if you can keep him from having eighteen rebounds, that's huge. And I think Ben Simmons is going to struggle against DeAndre Hunter. I think that that's going to a matchup the Hawks can really can really win. And if he does go off, all that has to happen is you start hacking Simmons. Yeah, send him the line. Shot twenty five percent. I mean, from the series for the free throw line from the series. Like, so I, I just feel like the Hawks have a chance to make this series. If you're asking me right now, if they're at full strength, I think the Hawks probably losing six. If Embiid's not playing, the Hawks could win like maybe in less than seven. So I'm just telling you folks, um, because we're not going to probably do a deep breakdown of this game before we get this series, before we get there. I just telling you a couple things expect the Hawks will score. If they can defend at an adequate level, they have a chance to win with Embiid out. Yeah. I mean, in being at Embiid being out, we've said that just changes everything. You got a guy that's going to finish somewhere in the two to four range for the MVP voting for this year. So you take him off the team. It's very different. I mean, I guess I think Dwight Howard, is he the guy that would get most of those center minutes? I'm assuming so. I don't really know what, and I have to take a look at their roster. I don't even know what else they really have at center behind those two. And Dwight Howard is still a good rim protector. He can, but man, on offense, you're talking about, whoa, that's a whole different ball game. It's hard to play him with Simmons on offense. Right. 
Because right? there's no floor and, spacing. And then you look at Tybal, who's a really good defender. Tybal only played, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes a game this year in the regular season because he has some serious offensive limitations. Yeah, he's a spot-up well, jump if, shooter only, and he shoots a two-handed jump shot. <laughs> yeah, and it's not good. So if, so if you take Embiid out and now you're playing Dwight Howard, you certainly can't play Howard and Tybal and Simmons. Oh, gosh, that's a good right? point. Yeah, it's you're a, right. It's a great defensive lineup, but unless steals, you know, or blocks give you, like, actual <laughs> points on the scoreboard, normally that stuff leads to points on the scoreboard, but I'm not so sure it would with that lineup. So, yeah, you get into lots of other weird lineup issues that don't show up quite as much when Embiid is there. Yeah. Which is normal for taking away a best player off a team. That's not and just like so you know, their other bigs you're talking about are Mike Scott and Anthony Tolliver. I mean, that's who you're putting your rotation. And they were actually playing Mike Scott at the five some in this past series. I mean, that's what they, that's what you're at. That, and that's what you have to do because you have to have somebody at the five yeah. that can still shoot a little bit and spread the floor. But if you have to do that for a whole series, now pick and roll with Capella and Collins finishing on the other end, mm. that's right back on the table. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, Mike Scott is one of those guys. He's a veteran player. He's going to go out there and he's going to do his job. But he is not going to keep Capella and Collins from dunking no, every not. game. And they, and again, we talked about how they good personnel. George Hill coming off their bench, who I didn't mention before, is a good defender. Cork Moss is out there to shoot threes, and he's not out there to play defense. Neither is Seth Curry. But uh, I just – and Tyrese Maxey has gotten a lot of run in the playoffs, which actually a little bit surprised me. But he does not scare me at all uh, either as a rookie. But I, I just think, man, like it, it's, it's kind of scary as a Hawks fan to get excited because we're Atlanta, and we know that – it would be so Atlanta for him to sit out and us to lose a series of five games. That would be so Atlanta to do. <laughs> and so you, you're fearful of getting, of getting uh, excited about it, but this is just different. We have a bona fide killer and I just feel like he's going to ball. I just feel like he's going to ball. And I don't think that when you have a guy like that, you lose series like this in five games. I just just don't see that. Unless you're just completely overmatched, which I don't think they would be because of the way Philly plays. Now, if we're playing Brooklyn, let's have our one game, be happy, and go, to go home. I mean, <laughs> but this ain't Brooklyn. This is not Brooklyn from a talent standpoint. So, so it's yeah. true. It's true. So, I, honestly, if Embiid is healthy and playing, losing in five games doesn't necessarily even shock me all that yeah, much. I think that's still a pretty normal outcome. The The difference is I do expect that this Hawks team, because we'll be able to score, is still going to put up a bit of a fight and yeah. play some competitive games. Even yeah, I don't see us getting blown It's not that long. I, yeah, I don't see us, you know, being on the complete other end of what happened with the Knicks in our series <laughs> where – the last three games were blowouts and you won one game because you shot 20 something more free throws and the other mm -hmm. team had a terrible shooting night. Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty fluky. Right. Um, and, oh, and that was also the night where Nate McMillan went with the all bench lineup. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's the kind of thing where if you, yeah, it took a lot for them to 
to get one win, right? You think this conceivably could have been a sweep. And while you're at it, Scott, before we leave this, the Hawks shot the fewest free throws of any team in the playoffs to this point. Yep, by a large margin. By a large margin. Because Trey Young just out there hunting fouls. It's not even playing basketball, David. Not even playing basketball. (laughs) Uh, And I say this, if that trend continues, we have no chance of beating the 76ers because – we, we don't because Embiid's going to get in the line against our team. We're going to, and we're going to be fouling Simmons. So, well, all right, Scott, it's a good night to be a Hawks fan, my man. It is a good night to be an Atlanta Hawks fan. So Hawks fans enjoy this. Uh, we'll probably be back with some more content on the, the series, maybe next week, maybe a mid series interruption. I am finally done with coaching in school. So you can expect me to be putting out more content. I will try to do better. <laughs> I know uh, I have not been regular, but y'all keep listening. And I hope that we're doing at least two or three more weeks of Hawks content. <laughs> this has been Dave Bethay and Scott, the status Ash for the title run sports podcast. Scott to the people. Adios. From downtown. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you for listening. <laughs>